Welcome to Counter Stories, programmed by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and insights that I share are solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. My name is Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, um, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. We have a very special guest with us today, none other than our Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan. Lieutenant Governor, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Well, hey, everybody. I'm Peggy Flanagan. I'm the lieutenant governor of the great state of Minnesota, and I am a member of the Wider Fund of Ojibwe. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us, lieutenant governor. We wanted to start off with a discussion about some exciting news that just came out of the legislature this past session that you had a great deal of involvement with. It is the $1.3 million investment to help teach our kindergarten through 12th grade students in Minnesota the full history of our indigenous people. Can you help us understand, first of all, how that came about, but uh, maybe even before you broach that, what your learning experience was as a student growing up and not being exposed uh, to these important parts of our history. Sure. So Indigenous Education for All uh, has been a a long time coming, uh, and we certainly have our work cut out for us. But, you know, when I was growing up, I was one of the few Native students uh, in in St. Louis Park Public Schools. My teachers didn't look like me, and certainly our history and culture um, and and our family uh, wasn't represented in in our curriculum or or lessons. And I remember, you know, hearing about uh, Native folks, but always from the perspective of, um, you know, history, not that we were contemporary people. And, you know, the old, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and, uh, quote unquote, discovered America. And I know that that was um, really the experience of, of so many other folks. And, you know, Native people have been here uh, in uh, Minnesota, Makoche, um, since before Minnesota was Minnesota. And I think that our young people um, deserve to to know the truth and the the full story of uh, the land on which they they live and and exist. And so, you know, the first time that I had a a native teacher, I was a sophomore at the University of Minnesota, and I walked into a classroom and I saw Dr. Brenda Child standing at the front of the classroom, and I almost fell over. Um, here was a teacher who looked like me in a classroom full of other Native students, and it changed everything for me. And, you know, what I want is for every every student um, uh, to have that experience starting even in pre-K before, uh, you know, before they get to college, certainly, that that is their experience. And so, 
you know, what this does, the 1.3 million um, over the next biennium is uh, it helps to develop curricular resources for Minnesota school districts and charter schools to access, much of which, you know, we know has been developed already in our communities. It is simply making sure that we are also making that connection. Um, additional state-level expert support on implementing the academic standards specific to Indigenous education and improving the process um, for the, the consultation between the state and the Tribal Nations Education Committee, as well as making sure that our robust um, urban Indian community is also at the table as we are crafting uh, what, this, what this will look like. Um, and so it is... It is important work. Um, you know, my daughter is a, a third grader and she is in St. Louis Park Public Schools and her experience is already so much different than the one that I had. She is in a, a school that um, has uh, many Native students and, you know, her teacher is a teacher of color. We walked into her classroom this year and there were books everywhere that looked like the children who are in the classroom. And our young people cannot value their education unless they see their education valuing them. And so um, this is, uh, it's really exciting and I'm glad we got it done. And uh, now we have a lot of work to do to, to implement it and to implement it in a good way. You know, you know, one of the things that I loved about seeing and just I read in the Sahan Journal about it um, is the scope and sequence that is um uh, as you know, in terms of what kindergartners will learn, what you know, fifth and sixth graders will learn, what what high schoolers will learn, that it, that um, oftentimes when we see initiatives that try to walk down you know this road for representation, um, the first thing that comes out is all of the destruction of various marginalized communities. And here, um, you know, it's rolled out very differently. And I, and I I've um, I've been really appreciative of seeing that, that that will start with the connection to land and start with how folks are engaging, you know, today rather than immediately going to, I know this from the African-American side of, side of things, everything starts with slavery. We, we Instead of talking about all mm -hmm. of these other things that are essential at the early stages as well. One of the questions that comes to mind, Lieutenant Governor, is in, in formulating this initiative, um, were there understandings of other states around the country who that have gone down this path already? Or are we kind of in the front runner? Can you give us an idea of how we compare with respect to other states and, and adopting a similar type of initiative? Sure. I think, you know, one of the states that has been a model for this uh, has is the, the state of Montana. And, um, you know, part of the, the reason for that, I think, is because, you know, the, uh, the first Native woman elected to executive office statewide was Denise Juno as the superintendent of, of education. And so um, having her there and in that role um, made a difference, I think, because there were so many folks who were already working um, on, on this initiative in Montana. It has been implemented. It has been um, renewed and uh, improved. 
And so I think that's, you know, really where it's the the forefront of, of this movement. But I also think this work has been happening in Minnesota for a really long time. Um, it's simply that uh, we are, are now in a place where we can uh, start to, to move these things forward um, in a way that will have a, a statewide impact, right? I think we think about Minneapolis as you know, we have Heart of the Year School and the Red Schoolhouse and the, you know, this this place and space where so many educational movements um, really have been have been born. It is is now just making sure that 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 work is happening in a way where all students can experience it. And um, one of the things that we have heard repeatedly um, from from teachers is just the need to have the support to actually do this work. Um you know, we included uh, a, our new tribal state relations training for school leaders, um, and uh, I think that 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 is is going to matter. I want to make sure that we are removing sort of all the excuses for why this can't happen, right? It's like we're going to give you all the tools to make sure that 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 you can implement this, and you know, we're also making sure that ethnic. Um, Ethnic studies is also um, part of this package too. It's not just about our indigenous kids. It's about you know all of our, uh, our our black students, our students of color, our immigrant students, but also for our white students to know um, where they live and who is part of uh, Minnesota and the rich history. I think we have this sense that somehow uh, our young people. Uh, can't handle the, you know, the complexity and the richness of the people that they are in community with every single day. And I think our young people are smarter than that. And we need to be able to give adults the tools to to do this work. You know, Lieutenant Governor, that uh, um, the, the your comments are are, re, are reassuring. Um, there have been other times on Counter Stories where I've shared my experience teaching in social work at Metropolitan State University. And I, one of the classes I taught was a, called a comparative racial and ethnic analysis class. But every semester with the new incoming students into the social program, in that class, I would always ask one basic question. And in the eight years that I taught there, not one student was able to answer that question. And the question was simply, how many reservations are there in Minnesota? Mm. And in eight years, not a single student, including the Native students, were unable to answer that question. And to me, that is the root of the issue of what you're addressing in terms of the curriculum. And... Um, you know, I would always explain to the students that it was a failure of our education system that here in Minnesota, we're surrounded by 11 reservations and the average Minnesotan has no idea how many there are and even what they are. And don't, I, I would, mean, some people like don't even realize that we still there, that reservations still exist. Well, mm -hmm. there's there's that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or the fact that that we don't exist. I mean, right. My you know, my son went to Capitol Hill back in the 80s, which was uh, Capitol Hill's the gifted and talented school in St. Paul. And his uh, third grade teacher sent a, a note home with him one day. And the note was 
a request for me to see if I would come in and talk to the class about about American Indians. And and she wrote some kind of basic questions in terms of what she wanted me to address, like what kind of habitats do Indians live in and yada, da, 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 that kind of stuff. And um, so I agreed and I went in and I talked to this class. And so the first question I asked the kids is uh, what kind of structures do Indians live in? And <laughs> I selected a young girl and she said houses. I said, correct. It wasn't coming from the kids. It was coming from that teacher. Mm-hmm. Those, and so, you know, and so I, because when that, when the third grader, when she answered the question, it was very basic, you know, and she, and, but I looked in, at the instructor and that's what really struck me is that even our uh, teachers at that time didn't have a clue about who we were. And it, it, it was nowhere in the curriculum anywhere. You know, Peggy, my, I grew up in Minneapolis public schools, and my experience was the same as yours, with the exception that I was coming through during a time of, uh, after uh, civil rights. And so there was this push to not only desegregate the schools, but I was fortunate enough to be at Minneapolis North when Minneapolis Public Schools hired uh, Barry Blackhawk as the first Native American liaison, Indian liaison for Minneapolis Public Schools. And so I was fortunate to be with Barry Blackhawk and all the rest of uh, the Native American students that were attending Minneapolis North and we had him, I had him my sophomore year in high school. And th- with him, he helped us create a group we called True American Native Students, TANS. And we, um, in that class that we had with him, was the first opportunity any of us had at, in uh, Minneapolis Public Schools to learn more about who we were as Native Americans. And so I felt very fortunate to have had that experience, but it was totally isolated. It was Mm -hmm. only at Minneapolis North until we went to Minneapolis South and we started a charter there. So that, I mean, so what the funding that you're talking about, we're talking about building this curriculum across the board for all students. That's correct, right? That's right. That's right. And and I think, you know, to your to your point, um, there are legislators who I have engaged with uh, who don't know that there are 11 reservations in Minnesota. And as recently as when I retired from the, the legislature a few years ago, I had a legislator who said, oh, I didn't realize you were Native American. I thought you were all dead. I thought you were Jewish. Wow. And, you know, um, and I said, I was like, surprise, we're still here. Um, Flanagan being such a Jewish name, right? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> and one, of, one of my best friends is Mohican. And so whenever she meets people and they ask her what, you know, where she's from, she says she's Mohican. They always say, I thought the last of the Mohicans died. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Thank yep, you, movies. It's a surprise everything ta- every time, you know, and... But that's the thing is that we give this preamble, Don, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Like whenever you talk about Native issues, it's sort of like Native 101 
for about 15 minutes before you can get to like the actual thing that you need to talk about. So we heard over and over again from tribal leaders that this was their top priority so that in the future, people know that we're still here. They know that we exist as contemporary people. We've contributed to this state of Minnesota and that we won't have to do that preamble because people will simply know. And once you know, then you need to actually step up and do right by people and the way that you invest in our communities and the policies that you pass. And um, starting with our kids is, you know, is the, the best way to do this work. I love that you spoke to the need for all uh, for 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 everybody to 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 need to know this, especially comparatively across, you know, to Don's point, right? Comparative racial analysis, being able to compare the experiences and see some of the systemic patterns, right? This is part of laying the groundwork for being able to do that in a much better way. So, I really commend commend you on that. Um, and you know, it, it's just it, it's just my my racialized trauma coming full forward. I feel it in my chest and in my stomach at the moment, just to, just because Resma ta- ta- is teaching well. Um, that as you as you push forward this thing, I, I, the, my mind immediately goes to the resistance that um, will be felt in school districts and in places around who see anything that teaches um, <clears throat> or, or that surfaces any of the emotional and traumatic history of white folks, because <laughs> because you know I know this is this is about educating folks around the experience of Native folks, but because of the trauma of, of white supremacy and our and our our violent history, that is going to bring forward <laughs> having to face the realities of of the participation of white folks in in the attempted genocide of Native peoples. I mean that's that that is going to become forward even in the appreciative approach that this is taking. And I'm just curious, what are some of the um, conversations, the experiences that you are facing and even, uh, you know, bringing this across the finish line? Well, I think one of the, um, you know, and that's all real. And uh, I think we need to to name it and know it. Um, But I also think so much of that has to do with adults. It's not the reality for a lot of our young people who are ready, who are hungry uh, to to learn um, about the the full, rich, complicated history of of the state and and of our country. But you know the the reality is we are in a moment um, where in the state of Minnesota, we were told very clearly by the Senate majority, that anything that create, you know, contained the word equity would not pass. Now, here's the deal. Um, I can get real creative and I can come up with a bunch of different adjectives uh, to use um, to, you know, to figure out how we move these things forward. But the way that I think we, we do this work is, you know, mostly just trying to have real conversations with people. Um, and we are in this climate and this moment where folks are talking past each other and not with each other. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were able to get some of the things done um, in the end of session negotiations is because is we were able to have conversations with folks um, about, you know, what was needed and necessary, but we're certainly not all the, all the way there yet. And um, 
my job is to listen to those concerns, to take a deep breath, and to then respond. Because Anthony, what you're speaking to about, you know, that anxiety or that feeling in your stomach, um, you know, that is that is the reality for all of us who function in systems that were not made by us or for us every day. Um, and uh, you know, that is. You know, there are folks who have stories about, you know, who they think I am or what they think I'm about. And all I can do is just keep coming to the table um, saying that I I know in my heart and in my guts and frankly, with the data, if that's what you need, that this is <laughs> <Come> absolutely <on. laughs> the best thing, right, for all kids. For kids of color, people keep talking about wanting to close those gaps. Having curriculum that looks like the kids in your classroom and teachers who look like them, too, we know that it works. And so um, I just want to give people solutions to tackle those problems that they say they care so much about. From the, the conversation we've been having, this is really educating the educators as well as the pre-K through 12 kids in the state. Because as, as our listeners can hear, uh, a lot of adults don't even know OS. And mm-hmm. having somebody with a lot of teachers in my family, um, you know, it, it's hard for them to be able to um, do the curriculum, add to the curriculum, uh, you know, quote unquote, critical race theory. Uh, although that, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but just adding things that are not already in the books while trying to teach 30 kids while, you know, trying to come home and, and be with your own family, like that's a lot on, on educators. And so being able to provide these these sorts of um, just data and facts, just the facts to, to these educators is not just educating the kids, it's educating everybody. Absolutely. Lieutenant Governor, I was going to uh, just really thank you about centering this instruction, it's really for the kids, um, in addition to what Hali is just saying, in terms of the impact, right? And having um, this false argument that is is just perpetuating itself in adult circles that this is too much for the kids to handle or it's going to confuse them. We know that children and you as, as a mother of an eight-year-old and, you know, we have Anthony who's got young children as well. Children are naturally inquisitive. They are asking mm-hmm. questions all the time. And as they continue to ask those questions and see the dissonance on what they're living in the moment right now, which is a moment of racial reckoning, this would actually enable them to be the critical thinkers we want them to be, to be analytical when they're speaking and when they're thinking about things, right? And not to just be subjected to rote memory. Can you speak a little bit more about how, if, if you've had some interaction with some of these experts that speak to how this will actually help our children develop into stronger thinkers and, and, uh, you know, analytical thinkers, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, someone and those of you who have kiddos and um, are around uh, young people, you know that they are incredibly curious. And the conversations that we are having at home right now, um, Ooh, she, uh, you know, she challenges me uh, every every single day, uh, and we have uh, 
frankly, the most real conversations that I have right now are with, you know, my eight-year-old who is asking tough questions about why things are the way they are. Asking about why some children run towards the police and some run away from the police. Asking questions about, you know, why things are the way they are with regards to, you know, our own family and, you know, our our own community. And so I don't have all the answers, but I do my best. And I know that our young people are ready, you know, to to have us really answer those questions. Because what's so hard and what I hear over and over from, from people is that, you know, once they get to college, if they get to college, that suddenly they're told that everything that they learned coming up is not true or that there is a uh, like additional perspective that they have just been denied. And so I think our kids are ready for it. And when we talk about, you know, it's not just about our, our history of Minnesota and it is about uh, science and math and indigenous perspectives and perspectives um, in those areas too that that make a, a difference. Heck, it's even the entire structure of our United States government that was based on the Iroquois Confederacy, which we don't talk about, <laughs> right? Like where those ideas came from, um, you know, and our our young people, uh, again, are, are ready for that. And I want my daughter to be able to, you know, look at uh, a concept in science, to be able to look at the data, but also to know that the observation, right, the, the questioning, the, you know, indigenous knowledge that we have about science is also incredibly valuable and gives a more full picture about the things that she is learning about and that other children in her classroom are learning about every single day. Um, and, you know, memorization, those things are, you know, uh, they have their they have their place. But I want to make sure that our young people are ready for this full, rich, beautiful world when they walk out of, you know, their school in the 12th grade and and have lots of options because they have fallen in love with learning because it actually meets their needs and what they're curious about. Um, a, a little bit on, on that, um, Lieutenant Governors, and I've said this on the show before, I get really mad when I learn these things now as an adult that I didn't learn these when I was in school, right? I went to a school called Cherokee uh, and we learned like almost nothing about indigenous history. I didn't even know what, like, what Cherokee meant. It was just the school that was close to our house, you know? And so when we say that the kids are ready, they're not only ready now, but you want them to look back in 10, 15 years and be like, I learned that in school. I know that. Right. Because, you know, when I mean, at least for me, when we were growing up, my parents were always telling us, like, education is the most important thing. And so I believed everything my teachers told me. I believed everything that the textbooks had. I thought those were all facts. Those were, you know, that's exactly how things had happened in this country. And as I grew up and out of high school and started learning the real history, I got mad. And I mean, my uh, co-host here will tell you I'm a, I'm a mad person anyway, but it's like added, this was like fuel, you know, to that madness. 
You know, um, Fleet, do you remember when we were, when Don took us to Malax? Um, yes. And on our way up, we were listening to a show, um, and one of the guests who is the head of, of education for Howard University had Rhodes Scholars, young scholars who, who are the creme de la creme, like Governor Flanagan, when you talk about memorization, like these were the folks who played school better than anybody in the mm-hmm. country. And they're on they're on campus, and she, they they begin to learn this below the line history and information that they feel like they should have. And do you remember the the the, the guest was 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 talking about how angry these kids were? This is this mirrors my experience working with high schoolers in our civil rights research experience. These these kiddos get to this age, and they are upset that they have not been given the world as it is. They've been given the mm-hmm. world as it is comfortable for a certain part of our society. And, and that frustration is palpable when they come to us. And, and we have to do a lot of work just helping them deal with not having gotten um, that, that full and truthful story. H- how much, um, you know, as, 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 the, as this rolls out and there are resources and funds kind of, kind of helping us to do this, how much um, of, of this is, is also um, kind of helping to equip the students of color, um, in particular, the indigenous students who are now going to be encountering this. I mean, it seems to me that there has to be something um, in this around building, building solidarity, building, I don't know, coping mechanisms, because they're going to have to deal with the learning curves of the folks around them and all the stuff that comes along with that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pieces to this, and I'm wondering what conversations about that have come up. Well, you know, I think that um, more than anything, when we have our young people learning about, you know, who they are and where they come from and, you know, and Don, you spoke to this, right? It is, it is a game changer. The level of, just the level of confidence when our young people know who they are um, and can walk into a room with their full identity um, and feel welcomed and okay about it, that feels like um, that is one of the most important tools in our toolbox that we can give our young people for success. And my hope is also, as we are talking about Indigenous education for all and ethnic studies and working to collaborate with districts and schools and communities to identify, you know, multicultural resources across you know, all grade levels, is that it also creates an environment where our our students of color feel like I can ask tough questions, right? I can talk about our own experience or I can share the history of my community and not feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I am presenting an alternative narrative to the one that is in my textbook or the one that we have been you know, um, conditioned to sort of return to over and over again. But part of that too is making sure that our young people also see that going into education is also an opportunity for them so that we are growing more students from our communities and that in higher ed, we're not just saying you have to take that one class, right? (laughs) Like Hmm. uh, that one multicultural (laughs) class that's supposed to prepare you, right, for the future. And you know, and even now I get asked by by students who are going into teaching um, at the college level, are you willing to, you know, would you be willing to sit down and can we do an interview about, you know, indigenous education? 
And, you know, I, I'm always happy to do that. But the thing that I've started doing is to say to, to folks, I want you to read Boarding School Seasons by mm. Dr. Brenda Child before we sit down. Mm. And I'll tell you, the amount of people who are like, I'm cool, right? <laughs> who don't follow through. It's, you know, it's more. But those who do, it's completely different because then they have at least the foundation of knowing that our children were stolen from our families, experienced tremendous trauma that is one generation removed from my family, and that that might have a little bit to do with the current situation we find ourselves in when it comes to, you know, the academic experience of our Indigenous students. And so it has to be that our young people feel confident to ask these questions, but then we have enough young people who say like, and I want to be part of this solution. I want to also be shaping, you know, the hearts and minds of, you know, our, our, our even younger people who are coming up because they see themselves as valuable assets to education um, and that that is also a viable pathway for them. You know, Lieutenant Governor, um, the comment you the comments you're making, I was just sitting here reflecting on my own experience. And you are so right because after having that experience with uh, Dr. Barry Blackhawk in my sophomore year at high school, it allowed me to question in the classroom that what I hope what I hope what happens or what I hope that differs between that experience then and the experience that that these students may feel now is that you are absolutely correct. There's this sense of pride, but it also develops this critical thinking. And so I I would uh, challenge many of my instructors um, in different classes. The difference, however, is that they weren't privy to that knowledge in curriculum that that the teachers will be in the school system now. So they didn't know where I was coming from. And what ended up happening is then I then became labeled as the young, angry, (laughs) Native American, African-American student because I was questioning uh, what was being taught in the classroom. Or or they would have you teach the other kids mm-hmm. <laughs> your own and history as a child without compensation exactly <laughs> well that, but that labor that still happens you know i mean to this day that still happens and you know peggy brought that up when i was director at dhs you know what what peggy was talking because you've heard me mention on other counter stories uh uh on some other uh podcasts that we've had where when I was uh, commissioner at at uh, the Mille Lacs Band, commissioner of uh, Health and Human Services, after a while, I got tired of explaining about tribal sovereignty and why we were sovereign with every elected official on the county, state, or federal level. And after a while, I just said, to hell with it. I'm going to make them for to deal with me as a sovereign Native American official and not have to explain. I mean, so after about a year, you, and I don't know, Peggy, you know, I, I know in your position that, you know, that it's expected that we do that, but after a while we get tired where every opening we have to do that. And after a while, I just force them to deal with me. 
as a sovereign entity representing uh, the Mille Lacs band. And um, some were able to do that and many others weren't. And uh, it, it's, it, it's, much like, it's much like having someone from the Senate come right out and tell us or tell you that if anything or any language has the term equity in there, that just makes my blood boil because mm-hmm. they're setting the agenda. We're not even Indians until the federal government tells us we're Indians. I mean, how messed up is that? Right. <laughs> it's pretty messed up. And, you know, I know that, um, you know, one of the things and um, Don, there are many uh teachable moments uh, that I am presented with uh, in in this role. And I like the way you put that. I like the way you put that. <laughs> we have to be careful, man. <laughs> but here's the deal, right? Like, sure, it can be frustrating and it's hard, but this is what I know. I know that we are better off with more Native women at the table than fewer Native women at the table. And so um, that is what... Uh, I try to reflect on um, in those those tough moments. But I also know, you know, in your, you know, as you talked about your experience needing to describe, um, you know, sovereignty and government to government and what that actually means, part of what, you know, we just codified in law was consultation and the in the legislature with our tribes between uh, you know, the the state and our tribes, but also the requirement that every um, commissioner, assistant commissioner, and deputy commissioner needs to go through the tribal state relations training so that um, at the very least, everyone has a base foundation of what that means and what those needs are so we don't have to keep starting from scratch. Um, but uh, there will continue to be teachable moments And so, you know, Indigenous education for all is part of that, but also making sure that we have more people in positions of leadership who come from our communities is also another way, right, to ensure that we are are getting that that work done, too. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, it's so important for for our audience to understand the importance of seeing yourself um, in in as teachers, right, and, and as faculty in academia. And speaking of academia, we know that there was a big announcement this week by the University of Minnesota indicating that on all of their campuses, there would be free or reduced tuition to Native students uh, for the first year, free if the family earned less earns less than $75,000 a year, and reduced if a family earns up to $125,000 a year. Can you help us understand, um, or first, what was your reaction? And then I, I think there's some some other deeper questions that we can explore further um, as we go into this conversation. Sure. So my first reaction, honestly, is that um, I burst into tears. And, um, you know, the, the reason for that is because, you know, I am... Uh, an alum of uh, the University of Minnesota, the Twin Cities campus. And I worked in the Office of American Indian Student Outreach and Recruitment and wore my little windbreaker um, and, you know, did those tours across campus and walked backwards as I told people about the, the university. 
And, you know, my experience there was being surrounded by um, incredible educators like Brenda Child, like Jeannie O'Brien, like uh, Dennis Jones, um, and having a really incredible community there. But what I also experienced was an administration that didn't always like to acknowledge um, the Native students who were on campus and the contributions that they made. And so I remember that we would get in trouble for, you know, burning sage or sweetgrass in the Student Cultural Center. And, you know, that's simply who we are, right? And, um, you know, being in that, that place in that space where as a student, my experience with other Native students and with, with other, per, you know, Native professors was so powerful and moving, but also knowing it was always an uphill battle with the administration to be seen to now having this new, you know, leadership with uh, President Gable and Tad Johnson and Karen Diver, who are all at the table, knowing that a land-grant institution whose land, frankly, is, you know, indigenous, to acknowledge that, to say, like, we have some some debts to repay is really powerful. It is a first step. It is not the only step. And, you know, frankly, um, they've got a ways to go, but it is incredibly meaningful um, to, to make this policy change. And I think um, the leadership uh, there in this moment under President Gable is uh, starting to reckon with um, the history of the, the University of Minnesota. And that is absolutely what is required of this institution. Um, you mentioned Karen Driver. Um, what role does she play there, Lieutenant Governor? So in her role there, she's now essentially uh, working to ensure that the university is doing right by Native students and building a relationship with the, the tribes here in Minnesota. Um, and I think it's building on the, the work that Tad Johnson has been doing for, for quite a while at the U of M um, up in Duluth. And she's no slouch. And so I think like if you bring Karen Diver in, she's going to give you the what for um, and tell you what you need to do. Well, yeah, I, I mentioned that because Karen was uh, tribal chair of Fond du Lac the last time I was up as commissioner at Mille Lacs. That announcement from the U was very exciting because, you know, the University of Minnesota and I think maybe, um, you know, my question or maybe um, some information you might be able to supply to our listeners and why this is so important is because the U is a recipient, is a land-grant university. And, um, and as such, I think there were some promises made back to our people in terms of these land grants uh, that, you know, I think the U has partially fulfilled that um, by because they offered uh, tuition, uh, I think free tuition at their university um, Morris campus, but the University of Minnesota is a large institution, and this new this new decision impacts all their campuses, and so I think that was a tremendous tremendous first start um, in the the right direction. Because I think my co-hosts here have heard me harp many different times that uh, I always felt the University of Minnesota 
needed to step up to the board to better serve um, the indigenous population here in Minnesota, especially with their with the history they have. You know, one one of the uh, examples I would use in my classroom was would be uh, would be um, Professor El, um, Albert Jenks, who kind of created the uh, anthropology department at the University of Minnesota. And, you know, one of the studies he did was up at your reservation, White Earth, um, where he studied strands of White Earth band members' hair to make a determination that allowed, get this, allowed log, uh, companies to go in and log uh, and log all the white pine in uh, northern Minnesota based on strands of uh, hair from uh, White Earth members. Which is absolutely problematic and speaks directly to why this matters. I mean, you know, listen, even when I was an undergrad, um, you know, I had to advocate to make sure that the research that I was doing um, as a child psychology major in the Institute for Child Development was not just on middle to upper class white children whose families, you know, like are the ones who send back those cards that you get when your baby's born that yes, I love them to be part of puzzle studies. And, you know, um, like that, that's also part of it, that uh, when we talk about research, it's research for who, what is the, you know, what is the the outcome, who benefits and, and frankly, over the entire tenure of the of the University of Minnesota existing, um, that question should be asked, who has benefited um, from, you know, the the bulk of the the research and, um, you know, the 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 education overall. And, and I think this is the first step to answering that question. You know, as we thank you, Lieutenant Governor, as we close this off, I want to make sure that I, I unpack this a little bit more for folks who may need a little bit more uh, information here. When when Don references a land-grant uh, institution, a lot of times people don't understand the connection to our indigenous population. So I'm going to just do a, a quick two-minute summary. In, nine, in 1862, rather, President Abe Lincoln, at that point, signed what would be the Morrill Act, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, uh, in which it does, he distributed then public domain lands to raise money for colleges across the country that were struggling financially. So what, what that act did was it expropriated, it took land from tribal nations across the country and turned it into seed money then for higher education institutions. And there are nearly 11 million acres, just just get your mind around that, almost 11 million acres that if you were to equate that now, just figuratively and, and visually, it would be an area larger than the state of Massachusetts and Connecticut combined. And when you think about then that this land was taken from our indigenous people and then given and, you know, for funds to raise funds for these struggling institutions, the the act there still requires that the money made from the land sales must be used in perpetuity. Um, so it remains on the books for these colleges today, um, you know, 100 plus years later. 
Uh, and secondly, that at least 12 states are still in possession of unsold acres from that Morrill Act. So, so they could actually be giving this land back to indigenous communities, mm-hmm. and they haven't done that. And, you know, these acres, of course, are very valuable as land itself, but they also contain mineral rights and other ways that revenue can be produced and used as reparations, in my mind, for our indigenous uh, brethren, right? So this is this really merits a deeper conversation at some point, and maybe, Lieutenant Governor, we can have you back on this uh, with you know some other folks, including our own crew, of course. But we have a lot to learn um, as we go forward and expectations, right? We shouldn't be happy with one year of free or reduced tuition for Indigenous people. We should be demanding a full four-year run, right? Not just one year. We should be really looking at how we can equip our young, brilliant minds to continue their growth uh, and be contributing members of our society because we owe that uh, to our our neighbors uh, and the original inhabitants of this land um, that was, well, we won't get into all the emotions <laughs> that come up with that. So I'll stop there. We're but, trying um, to wrap the show up. <laughs> on. I know, I'm sorry. But um, this has been Counter Stories. You're taking us down the rabbit hole. <laughs> this has been Counter Stories, a uh, program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias. Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and insights I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner of Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. Thanks so much for, for having me, everybody. I'm Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan and a member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe. Chimigwech. Thank you for uh, joining us and thank you for all the good work that you're doing for the great state of Minnesota. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>